0: You rely on this podcast to stay informed and connected with your local community. And we rely on you. Without listener support, this show simply wouldn't exist. Be a part of the team that makes this show possible by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute. Donate at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thank you.
1: Welcome to mid-December. Welcome to KUOW's Year in Review from the stage at the Nessholm Family Lecture Hall at McCall Hall in downtown Seattle, Washington. I'm your host Bill Radke twenty 22 brought us a new seattle mayor a new direction for our economy a newly reopened bridge and a new member of the united states congress washington's democrat district flipper marie Glusenkamp perez is here tonight Also, there is a new political party, and you're going to meet one of the founders, ex Republican, now with the Forward Party. Chris Vance is with us this evening. And you are about to meet the new face of compassionate hockey fandom, the Mole Whisperer, Nadia Popovich, is here. And of course, of course, we'll give you a new reason to smile, because I've asked some of my favorite Weekend Review guests of 2022, if they would come out tonight, will you please welcome KUOW's arts and culture reporter, Mike Davis, yeah. science journalist, Jane C. Hu, and the tech correspondent at Insider, Catherine Long. Yeah. Catherine. Catherine Long, one of your final headlines of 2022 was, A Jobs Machine Grinds to a Halt. Has the boom gone bust? Are Amazon and Microsoft ever going to employ that many people again?
2: Oh, I think certainly, yes. I mean, what a wild ride it's been this year in in the world of tech. I remember at the beginning of the year, we are writing headlines like, uh, you know, Great resignation, uh, people, people getting 65% raises, you know, yes. Amazon more than doubled its base salary cap for employees as people were leaving in droves because they could get better offers elsewhere. Um, and there was a massive hiring spree. Uh, I, you know, Meta hired, I think 37,000 people. Uh, meta
1: meaning Facebook's parent that's right oh. Facebook's
2: parent company meta uh, a Google parent company alphabet hired a similar number of people and then it all came crashing down
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> earlier earlier this autumn uh, companies let go I think somewhere between 80 to 120,000 people uh, estimates vary but you know the really interesting thing is that for all of the kerfuffle that has been made about these tech layoffs with good reason um, Employers are still—they still have more employees than they did at this point last year.
1: Right. There's your bust. Right. It's relative. Yeah. Um, But it's been interesting to see because Amazon does so much. It's been interesting to see where they pull back. Uh, Is—is Alexa about to get dumber?
2: (laughs) Um, Is she about to get dumber? I don't know. It seems that she may not get much smarter. You know, the jury's out on how smart Alexa is anyways, but, uh, yeah, so Amazon cut about 2,000 people from the team that makes Alexa, including a lot of the folks who are responsible for coming up with new skills, new abilities for Alexa, making her sound more conversational, making her sound more human. That's a big change for the company. Alexa used to be a a, a, a pet project of Jeff Bezos. Um, Amazon develops a really cool technology powering Alexa, you know, one of the first companies to figure out how to do far field speech recognition, right? Uh, you, you, for the first time, you could say something from across the room, and this device would be able to understand what you were saying. How cool! Um, that seems to be over. The era of building a, a smarter, more powerful Alexa seems to seems to have ended. It's just not working out for the company. People are not engaging more with Amazon products through Alexa.
0: I'm I curious if they I mean. We know there's Siri, obviously, and for a while, Google Home was a thing. I mean, is this part of this decision just that there's too much other competition out there and it's not worth it?
2: That's certainly part of the reason. You know, sales of Amazon's um, Echo device, the device that Alexa is on, uh been facing stiff competition from the companies that you mentioned, certainly.
4: So you mentioned that it seems like employment in the tech industry is back to where it was before the boom, but when Elon Musk took over Twitter and he fired all those people and then had to rehire a bunch of people, but then, you know, he still kept it low and he felt like there were too many people working there. And Twitter is still functioning with less staff.
2: Is Twitter functioning? Mm.
4: Relatively, (laughs) relatively speaking, depending on who you are. But my question is, do you think that we'll see a trend in the tech industry where companies start trying to operate with less employees? I would imagine stockholders would love that.
2: Oh yeah, certainly. You know, um, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos tweeted out, I think in October, batten down the hatches. Right, uh, the 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 economy is is uh, in for a rough spot potentially. Um, yes, we've been seeing pressure from shareholders on tech companies to reduce headcount to be become more lean. Um, I think that that trend will likely likely continue. Although, you know. One bright point uh, among the tech layoffs is that um, I think more than 70% of the tech employees who have been laid off were able to find a new job in three months, and half of those folks are earning more now than they were at their previous jobs. So there's still plenty of demand (laughs) for tech workers.
1: (laughs) Although a little unemployment would be good news to some folks who are trying to buy a home around here or rent a home around here. Is that going to be a headline in 2023? Home prices plummet. Vacant offices turned into cheap apartments.
2: <laughs> you know, I wish that would be a headline. <laughs> okay. uh, but it's it's harder than one might imagine to turn an office into an apartment, unfortunately, as Twitter found out
1: recently. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Twitter, Jane C. Who, I went to find you on Twitter and you have been kicked off. Do tell. <laughs>
0: Okay, so you all might know that Elon Musk bought Twitter um, and this was you know in the end of October early November um, he had announced that he was going to relaunch Twitter Blue um, a service where you could pay eight dollars a month and you get that little blue check mark next to your name mm-hmm. Um, it's usually verification for like government agencies or celebrities or lowly journalists um, so I've reported on misinformation quite a bit, and I was really concerned about how that was going to contribute to misinformation because anyone could then pay $8 and get a little check next to their name and look like an official anybody. Um, So to play with that a little bit, um, I became an Elon Musk parody account um, and tweeted a bunch of Elon Musk parody tweets and um, fooled some people along the way and then got kicked off after a couple days. (laughs)
1: That's our local economy, big story in 2022. By the way, you're listening to Year in Review live from the Nesson Family Lecture Hall here at Little McCall Hall in downtown Seattle. That's our crew, our live audience joining you tonight, uh, along with Catherine Long and Jane C. Hu and Mike Davis. Our next highlight of 2022 takes us back to that red wave that became the salmon squirt. (laughs) Inside joke here in the Nessholm crowd. As this fall's elections neared, we knew that some Trump-backed candidates were in trouble, but there was no way that a Democrat who had not been elected to a major office, was going to flip a southwest Washington district that voted twice for Trump. That would have to be the shocker of the midterm elections. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to meet the shocker of the midterm elections, (laughs) U.S. Representative-elect Marie Glusenkamp-Perez. Representative-elect, do you get a partial standing ovation everywhere you go?
5: No, not at all. It's, it's, it's actually unnerving. Please don't do that again.
1: Congratulations. Thank you. Now, there, I believe there's a recount happening today in Thurston County. Are you t- not technically elected yet?
5: Uh, it has not been officially certified. Um, so actually, it's already over in Clark County. Um, Joe Kent uh, gained six votes. I gained two, Uh (laughs) so we're shaking in our boots.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, when I was planning this year in review show, I thought, ooh, Marie Glusenkamp-Perez will definitely say no if I asked her to come all the way up from Skamania County to see us on on, on a Thursday evening. What made you decide? Are you a big public radio
5: fan? What made you say yes to me? (laughs) Well, uh, my district actually extends to Thurston County. So it's, 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 you know, hopefully, you know, tens of my voters will hear them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> We're very popular with those tens. We're very influential with those tens of voters. I want to air your, I think this is your most famous campaign video. A different kind of Democrat. Let's, let's roll that.
5: My name's Marie Gluesen Camp Perez. Life looks different down a gravel Road. We get our water from a well, we get our internet from a radio tower, and we heat our home with wood. I come from a long line of loggers. I'll rebuild jobs in the woods. I will invest in technical education to help rebuild American manufacturing. I'll protect our freedoms, the Second Amendment, and our right to make our own health care decisions. I approve this message as I'm definitely not your typical candidate for Congress.
1: Tipper! First of all, I'm concerned that you yelled timber as the tree was falling. Is everyone okay?
5: You know, they wanted me to yell timber, and I was like, we don't really do that. You
1: know? <laughs> um, my one question about that video is, you say, we get our water from a well, our internet from a radio tower, or heat, heat our home with wood. Why is that important to your constituents? Does my gas furnace make me unfit for Congress?
5: <laughs> No, I, I mean, I think people want a Congress that looks like America and they want to feel like their representatives understand what it means to live, like handling the pandemic with, you know, no broadband. That really meant something. That cost us a lot. And having people that understand uh, what it looks like to live and what many, many Americans live in, that's that's important to people. That matters. And... Um, I think uh, having a tie to Timber and to into the woods, that's something that means a lot to people, too.
4: You don't have, like, a really big political past. I mean, this is such a major... Like, you threw your hat in the biggest of rings. What was the moment that made you really want to take this chance?
5: Well, a, a couple things, but one of the big tipping points was listening to... Um, I was watching YouTube videos of Joe Kent, and I was like, Hot damn. This <laughs> guy... Has really good hair <laughs> and um, really, really bad ideas. <laughs> and um, and um, I was not seeing Jamie herrera Butler, my predecessor's signs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the yards I knew they should have been, and I was seeing a lot of Joe Kent signs in places that I don't typically see signs. And so it just felt like there was this momentum behind him and that he actually had a shot of unseating Jamie. And I really believe that the traditional pedigree Democrats are not the solution to this MAGA extremism. Like, people that work in the trades, people that work for a living, you know, I think that we have the most to say about this, Um you know, and taking responsibility for that conversation matters. Like I grew up in a family where it's like, if you have an opportunity to make things better, you have an obligation to do that. And I think that a lot of people that come from... Um, you know, My dad's an immigrant. And I think that really informs my sense of patriotism and duty uh, to our country.
2: One of the things that's been debated in the national media is the extent to which uh, the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade uh, impacted the elections. How much did you see that play out in in your race? Were Were your constituents talking about that?
5: They were, and it was really interesting because I heard from a lot of older Republican women, and it seemed like like party affiliation may have been less significant than whether you're old enough to remember what illegal abortions looked like. Mm-hmm. And, like, I talked to a lot of people who had been in the medical field, and they were like, yeah, we had wards of people who had survived DIY abortions. Um, And so I think that a lot of people were quiet about it, but that was definitely a lot of people's decision-making. And the sense of, like, you really want the sheriff showing up on your door asking you to explain what happened with your miscarriage? You know, is that, like, how do we functionally implement the ideas people are putting forward? I think that was really important to, like, make it concrete in a way of, like, what, what will this look like and how does this violate other things we believe in about our right to self-determination and privacy and, yeah.
1: We're talking with Representative-elect Marie Glusenkamp-Perez, Democrat from the 3rd District of Washington State, and you said, quote, I'm not going to Congress to be a party shill. You said you'll appeal to the middle ground. You've already talked about the environment tonight uh, being pro-choice. You're also a no on an assault weapons ban. Are you afraid you're going to disappoint both liberals and conservatives?
5: I fully expect to, yeah. They, they, we are, <laughs> yeah, we are, I, I'm emotionally prepared to be at my peak popularity right now. But, um <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, what's important to me is what's important to the district and staying really rooted in and the things that functionally make people's lives better. I think we're all really, A, I think we're all really exhausted by this, like, sense that being patriotic means, like, being mean to people online. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, like, a very lonely way to live. Like, we want to get back to a place where we have a sense of community. And, you know, just, you know, and one of the problems is, like, saying mean stuff online is like very effective fundraising. It's it's a very good way to get a political campaign off the ground is to say, yeah, you know, I've got this huge Twitter following. I've got, you know, thousands and thousands of small-dollar donors. And the way that you do that is by being kind of corrosive. And I think we're all really tired of it.
1: Well, speaking of not wanting to be a shill for either party and, and now negative partisanship, you know, another way to go would be to start a brand new party. So let's look into somebody who's doing that. Could we roll that video?
6: Now a group of breakaway Republicans and Democrats has formed a new group called the Forward Party. Brooks Silva Braga met with their leadership as they plan for this election day and beyond.
1: Will you please welcome a member of the leadership team of the Washington Forward Party, former Republican Party chair and legislator, Chris Vance. First of all, did the representative Alex say you could use her face in that uh, in that video? Was that your can- was that the Forward Party's campaign website where I saw Marie Glusenkamp Perez scrolling along? The Forward Party
6: endorsed Maria. Okay, um, I'm not. We, the Forward Party is so new. I'm not sure we were able to actually do anything, <laughs> but we've endorsed you. <laughs>
1: Uh, are you interested in joining his forward party, moderate Democrat Marie Glusenkamp-Perez?
5: I, I am a Democrat.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go, Chris. Um, first of all, I want to I talk about that. All right. But what is the platform of the Washington Forward Party?
6: There were a bunch of uh, organizations formed by former Republicans like me um, that have been working since 2016 in various ways. The most notable one was the Lincoln Project to to try and either uh, change the Republican Party or defeat Republicans. Um, But a lot of us for a long time said the real answer is to create a new party. Well, earlier this year, two groups of former Republicans um, merged with Andrew Yang and the organization he had created, the Forward Party, to create a bigger Forward Party. Um, This is intended to be America's moderate party. I mean, if you think the Republicans are too far to the right, the Democrats are too far to the left, we want to be your party. How many many in this audience are vibing with that? If we were anywhere other than Seattle, it would (laughs) 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 be. Fair enough.
1: (laughs) So Washington Republicans, as you used to be, lose all the time in this yes. state. I can see why they would want a new brand. Why would a moderate Democrat, like perhaps representative elect Camp Perez, why would Democrats want to switch when they are in Washington when they're in the winning party?
6: Well I, I think it's fair to say that that um, the plurality or the majority of people who've been, gotten involved in the forward party are former Republicans. But there's also a lot of disaffected Democrats, most notably Andrew Yang, who ran for president as a Democrat. Um, in 2020, there was a meeting in Washington, D.C. of a lot of prominent never-Trump Republicans, um, hosted by Evan McMullen, who's a big leader in this movement, and ran for the U.S. Senate in Utah as an independent. And this was when it was commonly assumed that Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. And everyone in that room agreed that if that was the case, if the Democrats were going to go all the way to Democratic Socialism and the Republicans— were led by Donald Trump, we in that room would form a new party at that point. And I think a lot of Democrats would have been interested in that. But we also agreed that if Joe Biden became the nominee, we'd all support Joe Biden. And he did, and we did. I mean, I donated more money to Joe Biden than I've ever donated to anybody. Um, I worked on the Biden campaign. We all, I think a lot. The, the um, what's going to happen in the Democratic Party in the next several years, which way it goes... Will determine how many Democrats might want to come join the Forward Party.
1: Representative elect, is there anything you want to tell or ask Chris Vance about the Washington Forward Party?
5: Well, I think he's speaking to, you know, I I think my parents would join your party. There you go. (laughs) Well, that's an endorsement. (laughs)
6: And, and, and I think you said Republicans in Washington State can't win. I think that's going to be a big part of the appeal. How many of you are sick of having your vote just not count? Because you, everybody knows that a Democrat is going to win Washington State. Everybody knows a Republican is going to win Alabama. We need more competition in this state. I am not comfortable with one-party rule anywhere in America. There needs to be competition, and that means more parties.
2: I'm not a political journalist, so maybe this is way off base. But my understanding of third parties is that they, they often have a hard time winning with their candidates. You were telling us a little bit backstage about your your right. plan to overcome that. I'd love to love to hear more about they that.
6: They never win. Um, it's rigged, isn't but, it? Well, yes and no. All right, look. People look at the way that the, the world is today and how it's been the past several decades and assume it's always been that way and will always be that way. It's not true. In the, from the, uh, the Jacksonian era through World War II, many times new parties would spring up in American history and win some seats. And, win, and that's how the Republican Party was created. It was a third party which eventually destroyed the Whig Party and became a major party. It just hasn't happened recently. Um, there are no st- what about the Bull Moose Party? Yeah, well, there you, there you go. And, and, I mean, Teddy Roosevelt was a serious candidate for president, and they elected, I think, 22 progressive Bull Moose members of the Washington State Legislature. And it was a third party. It can happen. There's no structural reason why it can't. Our big impediment is this bizarre American belief that there shall only be two parties, and they must be named the Republicans and the Democrats. No other democracy does it that way.
4: Oh, I was letting, I was pausing for their applause. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I was pausing for the applause. And I I guess what I can't get past is the current moment. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you spoke back to Bernie and, you know, Bernie Biden, but it feels like American society right now is polarizing, not just in politics, but in everything, I, I'm trying to cover a Dave Chappelle comedy show and I'm having a hell of a time because mm. you either love him or you hate them. Uh, Elon Musk, same thing. You're either his crony or you hate him with a passion and you have a fake Elon account. So I guess <laughs> my question is, when the third party comes and you're not either or, where are you going to fit in a society that takes their beliefs in democrat or republican literally everywhere they go
6: because here's the thing um, and i don't want to both sides this okay i mean i disagree with the democrats on some policy positions the republicans are flat out evil and dangerous wow Um, so but there are millions of americans who just don't want to accept the reality you just enunciated they want something different. And the problem is they have no choices. There's so many people out there. Every poll shows this. They don't like the Republicans. They don't like the Democrats. They just like one or the other a little bit less. And they have to choose between the lesser of two evils because it's a duopoly. It's binary. You only have two choices. Give them a third choice, a credible third choice, and I think you change everything.
1: What is in it for the party to have somebody run a, you know, another serious candidate and...
6: Split the vote. Yeah, that, I'm surprised it's taken this long. Everybody's. Oof. For someone to bring that up? You're going to be a spoiler. You're going to help Trump get reelected. Well, I mean,
1: didn't Joe Kent spoil it for Jamie Herrera Butler? He I know beat, he's. He beat her. Yeah. He
6: won the, he won the primary. I mean, yeah, I suppose she was a spoiler. He, he, I,
5: actually, I won the primary.
6: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, Donald Trump is a unique existential threat to the world and to American democracy and forward has said over and over again we are not going to do anything that's going to help get Donald Trump reelected beyond that however we have a damn right to compete I mean where does it say in the United States Constitution that you have to be a Republican or a Democrat it doesn't and every other in every other place in the world other parties compete And we are going to go compete and let the chips fall where they may? What are we spoiling? The system sucks already. I mean... (laughs) Uh,
1: The system did just elect Marie Glusenkamp-Perez to Congress. (laughs) That's true. true. Would your district elect a forward party
5: member? We have a really unique district. I mean, our our district... you know, elected the first Latino, my predecessor, Jamie Herrera Butler, um, you know, has elected two, three women recently. I mean, there are not that many women in Congress, especially when, like, Jolene Unsel was there, mm-hmm. right? So we, we have a very independently-minded district, so I, I would say it would probably would be a good test case.
6: So, Bill, I, I, um, in Washington State, if I have anything to say about it, we're going to try and focus on districts that one party or the other has abandoned, For instance, Rebelview used to be overwhelmingly Republican. Now they don't even run candidates. We should have forward party candidates running against Democrats. Mm -hmm. We should have forward party candidates running against Republicans in Yakima. So focus on areas that one party or the other has neglected and abandoned, again, because there ought to be competition. People ought to have a choice when they go vote.
1: What I love is that you're stepping up and doing something about a system that frustrates you. Chris Vance, thank you for being with us. Mm -hmm. U.S. Representative-elect Marie Glusenkamp-Perez talk about stepping up and accomplishing something, and I'm so grateful you're here. I believe you have things to do. You're getting whatever one does to be ready to be in Congress uh, with, and, and, they, and they have a one-year-old, and they, they made time to, to come on KUAW. Congratulations, and good luck to you in your first term. Thank you. We've been discussing national politics, and when we come back from a quick break, Seattle went a more conservative direction this year. How's that working out? That and more as the Year in Review continues. And you may have heard, we're live. We've got a live studio audience right here, a theater audience at the Nessholm Family <laughs> Lecture Hall. McCall Hall in Seattle will be right back. You're listening to Year in Review live from McCall Hall in downtown Seattle. I'm Bill Radke. I'm with science writer Jane C. Hu, insider tech correspondent Catherine Long, and KUOW's arts and culture reporter Mike Davis. Mike, Seattle turned a little bit more conservative this year. Voters picked a mayor and a city councilor and a city attorney who promised a harder line on crime, tent encampments. How's all this playing out over this last year? This
4: doesn't sound like an arts question, Bill. <laughs> We're going to get there. Oh, <laughs>
1: you found a way to link politics and arts, as, yes, we, will, yes, uh, no, as we, we will discuss.
4: We will get there. I, I think that what those wins really mean is where we are as a city. Like, you know, we had a slew of progressive candidates all loose. So, you know, we we wanted to be a little tougher on crime. We wanted to clean up the streets, especially for those people who are going back to work. I think the interesting thing that I see in Seattle is that We have one conversation when we're here in a room like this with all these people, right? Seattle is really good at at lingo and saying the right things. And, you know, we all take DEI courses in Seattle so we can can say the right things. Seattle's not the best at doing the right things. But what's interesting is when you talk to people one-on-one, you know, the folks that know me, I never turn down lunch. I never turn down the coffee. When you have those conversations, people will tell you, like, you know, I don't like having to walk to work past the guy practicing with his samurai sword, right? And I worked in Pioneer Square, and we literally had a guy that lived in a tent who would practice his poses with a samurai sword. When we had meetings at work, people would always say, oh, we have to, we have to keep the encampment. You have to protect. We can't do it. But then when I talk to actual people one-on-one, they're like, oh my God, I just walked past a man with a sword, right? So Seattle has this thing where we are not good at saying what we actually feel. And I think that those progressive candidates all losing was Seattle showing that we feel differently than we speak.
1: You do cover arts and culture most of the time. <laughs> But uh, there's, there's a, uh, a way in which the mayor and the city attorney found their way into your arts and culture beat, which is when you asked, what is public art and what is a nuisance?
4: <laughs> yes, yes, that is a question that still has not been answered. Uh, mayor Harold will say openly, though, that, you know, some of the graffiti is beautiful, but we also did just run a sting operation and arrest two graffiti artists. I don't know. I think that it's, it's interesting to me as... Arts and culture reporter, not political reporter, that somehow graffiti is being linked to crime and like public safety. Like graffiti in itself is a crime, but the idea that cleaning up graffiti is going to score political points under public safety, I think that that's kind of a cop out. But You know, I went to college in L.A., and they had sections of the city where they just told the graffiti artists, go have at it, and tourists go there, and they take pictures, and I think that that's the place where I would like to see Seattle go. I was surprised that the mayor actually came up with a comprehensive plan on graffiti that included bringing in the office of arts and culture. They're actually running programs to teach kids how to do graffiti, how to paint murals and working with property owners for places where these murals can be, and they can be preserved. So he did take actual meaningful steps. Now he had additional parts of that plan that looks like it's going to die with city council, but they have a
1: budget deficit.
4: Exactly. So, I mean, you know, it, it's an evolving story. It's still going to be here, but yeah, watch my reporting and you'll, you'll find out more. <laughs>
0: I remember at the beginning of COVID, when everything shut down, um, I did a story because Ballard Ave had basically boarded up all their windows because all those businesses were afraid that people were going to break in. And they hired people to paint murals on those wooden boards that they put up. And some of those artists were afraid to talk to me because they're mostly known for their graffiti tags and were reticent to take this money from people to be painting these murals. So I think that there is a very fine line in the kind of work that people need to do to sustain themselves, to keep living in this very expensive city and to do the graffiti art that they, you know, that makes her heart sing.
1: James C who writes about science. Mike Davis writes about well arts and culture officially and a lot of other stuff. (laughs) Catherine Long writes about tech amazon and otherwise at insider and this is year in review and can you have imagined a couple years ago we would have gone this far into a year in review show have we said the word pandemic or covid at all uh jane president biden said in september the pandemic is over is it over
0: Unfortunately not. Um, COVID is very much still with us. Um, I was just looking at the numbers this morning, and we are on another fun little upswing in number of cases. The good news is, obviously, we have widespread access to vaccines, um, and a lot of people have had it, which <laughs> does imbue some natural um, protection. But uh, I mean, if you're looking at people's behavior, though, I think a lot of us do have kind of gone back to doing a lot of the things that we did before COVID.
1: The the King County public health officials just recommended masks on in indoor spaces. Does that mean anybody who eats in a restaurant now is anti-science? Because <laughs> <laughs> for three I, years, we said that about people who didn't follow the public health guidance.
0: I mean, speaking of polarization, I think that's a situation in which it's been difficult to have real conversations about. Um, but I mean, I think it all depends on your risk tolerance and also your um, ability to go out into the world and interact with other people, right? There are immunocompromised people who um, do not have a choice about whether or not they need to go buy groceries at the grocery store, um, in which case I do encourage people to mask. And I have actually really loved the anonymity of having a mask on at the grocery, because yeah. no one needs to see my face in there. Um, <laughs> But I think it's very different when you're talking about going to a restaurant, right? Like that is a situation in which you can choose whether or not you want to go out to a restaurant. And if you did want to go out to a restaurant, you could probably choose one that had outdoor seating um, or that had a specific mask requirement or not, um, or that had better ventilation. So I think it's still consistent to be able to go out and do things based on your own risk tolerance, um, but to try and preserve spaces where everyone has to be to be mindful and try and wear a mask.
1: This would be easier if people would get their boosters. Have we given up?
0: Mm, well, so here in King County, um, I think 84% of us are fully vaccinated, so have gotten the, the two shots. Wow, um, I didn't know I th- it was that high. It's, it's quite high, uh, very high compared to the national numbers, which I think is 68%, which is still higher than I would
1: have 68% both boosters? I didn't. Re- oh, sorry, I didn't... not boosters. Sorry. Oh. Of just oh. Oh, the... oh. You mean just the two shots? Yes. Just
0: the original two oh, shots. but that's
1: not good enough.
0: So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the numbers fall if for one booster in King County, I think to about two thirds of people, so like sixty-five percent. And then the number of people who have gotten the second booster, there are only thirty-two percent of us who got that second booster. Yeah. So We definitely fell off there. I don't know if it's giving up. I mean, I'm sure that there are some people who just gave up, but I do think that messaging around the booster was confusing. A lot of people were not sure if they were eligible to get it, when they were eligible to get it, where to get it. I've heard of situations just, you know, in my neighborhood Facebook group, people were like, I don't, I can't get an appointment anywhere, and I really want one. Um, So I think that... in December. this was back when things got released to the general public in i think september or october um but i think that's really complicated the rollout as people have kind of moved on and we've been doing a lot of things in the world again and you know activities just picking back up i think people have not necessarily had the patience to try and seek out the most recent information about how to get the fourth shot
1: any final words uh science writer Jane Seehu, where we're going, it's the end of emergency or it's not?
0: I say keep going. I think it's hard, especially now that we're dealing with RSV and flu on top of COVID. And I think it's also important to point out that a lot of people, even if some of us feel over COVID, um, there are a lot of people who are still struggling with long COVID or even medium COVID. Um, Just because you're not getting sick right now does not mean that there isn't uh, potential for Uh, this, you know, long-term disability. And I think we should take that seriously.
4: Can I ask one more question? Yeah. One of these two, I don't know who, one of you is an expert on on work from home. What's going on with that? Are we going to stay hybrid? Are we going back?
2: I think hybrid hybrid has won. Hybrid Hybrid
4: has won. won. (laughs) Hybrid's
2: won the day. You know, I think like 50% of offices nationwide are vacant, which is bananas to me. Um, something like 56% of Amazon employees want to come into the office no more than once or twice a month. That's, you know, <laughs> tens of thousands of tech workers, uh, blind this, um, uh, sort of uh, social media site for, uh, Companies, it's like LinkedIn, but more gossipy if you haven't heard of it. Uh, (laughs) They had a survey that said, uh, would you rather uh, take a $30,000 raise and be forced to come into the office all the time or keep your hybrid or work for home arrangement? And the majority of people said, I would pass on the raise. Wow.
1: Okay. um, When we come back from a short break... Uh, We're going to give listeners reasons to smile, as we've been doing all year long. And we're going to meet, I mean, you could argue that Congress member-elect Marie Glusenkamp-Perez is the person of 2022, and you could also make a strong case for a certain Kraken fan who's about to join us, so stay tuned. We're at McCall Hall with a live audience. We'll be right back. And we're back to KUOW's Year in Review with a live studio audience. We're at McCall Hall, people. Nesson Family Lecture Hall here in Seattle. And I'm with Catherine Long from Insider and Mike Davis from KUOW and science writer Jane C. Who. We always end the Year in Review and the Week in Review shows with something that made us smile. Our next guest made two nations smile at least and that's going to be hard to beat before we meet her i want to ask you did anything make you smile in 2022 And what was that please
2: so much made me smile this year but the thing that made me smile the most was the movie everything everywhere all at once
1: i haven't seen it what tell
2: what is it about oh my god it's it's everything it's about everything <laughs> There is no way that I could possibly describe this movie in one sentence, but it's about family. It's about connection. It's about uh, overcoming your your fears of your own greatness. It's incredible. And it's streaming right now. Watch it, Bill.
1: Ah, I'm there for that. Thank you. Uh, Who's next? Who smiled?
2: I've gotten
0: really into bikes this year. Um, I love bikes. Yes, love that bikes get a round of applause. Um, But I've really appreciated... Seattle's great, but you know, sometimes undermaintained bike lanes. Um, but in particular, I've been really excited that we finally completed the loop around Green Lake, because for many years it's been a death trap to try and bike around Green Lake, and now there's a, a lovely dedicated bike lane.
1: Awesome. <laughs> Mike Davis.
4: I just, I'm happy that people are showing up places. Uh, I'm happy that we get to do things like this. I'm happy that the arts are not only alive, but they get to thrive because people are back. People are enjoying the arts. And I love to be out enjoying the arts. Please say hello. A lot of people do. It's been blowing my mind. And it's just been fun to be able to experience the art with other people. Yeah.
1: All right, Uh, uh, those are some reasons to smile. Our final story of the evening actually started technically in late 2021, about a 1,000 feet from here at the brand-new Climate Pledge Arena, the first home game for Seattle's NHL hockey team, the Kraken, against their new rivals, brand-new rivals, thank you, Kraken, the Vancouver Canucks. And at that game was a University of Washington biology grad about to go to medical school who noticed that the Canucks assistant equipment manager had something on the back of his neck.
4: She put her phone up to the glass and on the phone it said the mole on the back of your neck is cancer. He said we got the biopsy and I'm going to diagnose you with cancer and I'm going to cure you with cancer in the same phone call. She extended my life. She didn't take me out of a burning car like the the big stories, but she took me out out of a slow fire. The words out of the doctor's mouth were, if I ignored that for four to five years, I wouldn't be here. I want her to know that her persistence was what saved my life. I want to say thank you.
1: Before... Before Brian Hamilton could say thank you to that fan, he had to find her. And so, on New Year's Day, Nadia Popovich's life took a turn. Nadia, will you come join us, please? Nadia Popovich, you're at a hockey game. Why are you staring at this guy's neck?
3: Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's that's the real question. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a very lucky moment because Brian, as I know him now, uh, he wasn't standing in front of me that entire time. He was actually um, based over on the completely... Uh, the, the other side of where the players are being sat. Uh, and there was one particular moment where he had to come over into my area and just happened to be standing right in front of me as he reached over and handed a coworker um, something. And in that moment, you know, they they all have these collared shirts on um, and their neck is hidden. But because he reached so far, it dropped down in the back. And I got probably a three to four second look at a very concerning mole uh, and in that moment, that was, that was all I got. Um, but I was very lucky to have <laughs> background medical knowledge. I volunteered in a HEMONC ward for four years, um, and I was a CNA before that. Um, and so I, I knew that because it was on the back of his neck um, in perfect condition that it had not been biopsied. And I knew that if a doctor looked at that, they would want to at least check it out. You know, it could not be cancer, but at least check it out.
1: You could see it was raised. You could see it was the, the discolored. Yeah. Are you part hawk? <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing to me.
3: That's that's very funny. Um,
1: <laughs> maybe who knows? No, no.
3: Um, yeah, it was. It's. If you can imagine it, it was smaller than the tip of a pencil eraser. Just seeing that from a, a distance, um, I I was very concerned. And I knew, um, even though I didn't want to say anything, because, of course, you don't want to point out something on someone's body that can be very intrusive. Um, yeah. Especially when it's not the, you know, that mole looks amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, I I I was scared and I, I didn't want to say anything and afterwards I, I actually regretted it. Um, but I knew that if that was my dad out there, if that was someone that I loved and someone had a random piece of knowledge that could save his life, um, I, I would tell them just to take the chance.
1: I I know my colleagues have questions.
4: Can you describe to us what a bad mole looks like, so that yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So in fact, we're going to have the audience line up <laughs> single file. We're going to do a mole check.
3: Uh, they don't need to line up. Show. Nadia's eyes are so.
2: Yeah, good. <laughs> see from That's here.
6: We don't yeah, even need I to turn the lights five. on. <laughs> no. um,
3: the thing that I want everyone to know is that melanoma, um, in particular, is extremely aggressive. Um, it if you are diagnosed with it and it's into the later stages, even if you survive because it is deadly, um, it's, it's very costly. Um, it takes a huge toll on your body to go through the treatments. Um, but and the good news is that it is so preventable with just you and your eyes. Uh, and so most, actually, most of the melanomas that are caught are not caught by dermatologists they're caught by the patient themselves a loved one who's you know looking at their back and saying ooh maybe let's go see a doctor. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you want to look up the, the ABCDEs of melanoma. So things like asymmetry, a strange border, uh, discoloration. Is it blue? Is it different colors of, of brown um, and, and diameter? Is it getting, is it growing? Is it getting to be bigger than the size of a pencil eraser? Um, and evolution. So how is changing over time?
0: Have the Kraken given you tickets for life yet?
3: <laughs> no, <laughs> no, really. No. But, but didn't
1: they? Didn't the the Kraken and the Canucks help you with school?
3: Yes, um, they they joined together and they gave me a five thousand dollars scholarship each. Um, med school is very expensive, so that that costed about you know three weeks worth of
1: school. yeah yeah. <laughs> um,
3: but I I am. So extremely grateful. I, I did not grow up privileged at all. Um, the only reason I was able to go to undergrad is because I got a scholarship from Starbucks because um, I worked there. <laughs> um, and so the 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 money it means it meant a lot to me. Um, I, I would not. I owe so much of my education to the scholarships that people have given me.
1: I wanted to be able. I was so happy. I could tell you in person, Nadia, that. Um, I, you know, I, when I was a kid, I, I, I loved sports. I loved my hometown teams. I was very attached to them, and and then it, over the years, I sort of felt like ah, I realized now nah, they're pretty much interchangeable. And but but every once in a while, I get a I get a sense of a Puget Sound spirit. Sue Bird and Megan Rapino seem so local to me. Uh, you know, outspoken and progressive, and, and I, you know, and I love them. And and this, when I heard about this, and I saw your quote that you had said, "I don't feel the need to choose teams. I'd rather choose kindness." And I thought, man, may that always be the way <laughs> the, the Northwest does it. Um, and uh, I just, I get, a, I get a chance to say thank you. You're an, an inspiration. And uh, we're grateful. I know who you, are. Thank you. Thank you, Nadia. Thank you. Nadia Popovich, ladies and gentlemen Thank you. And that's the year in review at the Nessholm Family Lecture hall at McCall Hall in downtown Seattle. We did it. Thank you to my panelist, insider tech correspondent, Catherine Long. Thank you for the whole year and for tonight.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
1: is arts and culture reporter, Mike Davis. Welcome to KUOW And Thanks, Bill. I appreciate let's it. Let's have a great year together. Thank you. Yes. Science writer, Jane Hu, it's been a joy all year long, and tonight, too.
0: Thanks so much, Bill.
1: Thank you. Thank you to our special guest, U.S. Representative elect Marie Glusenkamp Perez. From the Washington Forward Party leadership team, Chris Vance. And apparently, future physician and Kraken fan and eagle eye, Nadia Popovich. Thank you to the team that put this show together, our events team, Charlotte Duren, Daphne Liu, and Amelia Peacock, Robert Jacobs Springer on the audio, Juan Pablo Chiquiza on the photography, producer Kevin Kniestead. I'm Bill Radke. Let's stay together, and I'll see you again in 2023. Thank you. Thank you.